Calgary Next is powered by Calgary Economic Development. Calgary is the place where bright minds and big ideas come together with an unmatched spirit to help solve global challenges. A lot of people are concerned about their finances right now, whether they're worried about retirement, increased cost of living, or to invest. People have questions. Our guest this morning has answers. We hope so, at least. <laughs> Jeremy Clark is the president and CEO of CH Financial and has over 20 years of experience in the financial advisory business. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Good morning, Tara. Good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning, Tara? Excellent. Thank you. And you? I'm okay, you know, considering. <laughs> Just okay? Yeah. I mean, look at our guest. How yeah. can you not be fabulous? <laughs> I know. Um, so, Jeremy, you graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree in neuroscience from McGill. So, how do you go from that to the financial world? Tara, that was my question. Oh, was <laughs> there, it? There, there could be many answers to that. That would make me look smarter than I am. But um, uh, the bottom line is I was a very bad scientist. And so I'm studying at McGill, one of the, one of the best schools in the world, and uh, a lot of very smart people there. And I would say I was smart enough to get in, and then I almost flunked out of that school after, after the first year. So there were a lot of scientists better than me. And so when I left school, I didn't really know what to do with myself. My parents had moved out here from Ontario when I was at McGill, and I thought, I'm just going to go to their house, live in their basement, try to regroup, get myself together, and... Um, Yada, yada, yada. 23 years later, I'm still at the same company and I'm running it now. So there's <laughs> lots of steps in between. But um, I just, yeah. I just want to try Are you still in the basement, though? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, want, I want to say it, it was a very nice walkout basement. The basement's about a thousand square feet. I had a view of the mountains, but it was a basement. <laughs> not trying to make it sound like Drake or Eminem. Like it, was, it was a nice basement. So, But how does neuroscience help you in your kind of day-to-day -day work? I think in a couple of ways. I think... Uh, in our business, um, be it investments or tax or insurance or, or what have you, you have a lot of people selling products, products, solutions, all sorts of selling, selling, selling. And, um, you know, when someone knows just even a little bit about my background and hopefully they hear the way that I talk, it's, you know, we don't try to sell people. We're not trying to work them into a certain solution. I think they feel that, you know, we're analyzing things carefully and really have their best interests at heart. And we're not just selling something. So I think having that technical education and whatever it is, uh, is very helpful when you're in more of a sales type career. But I thought that everybody says, well, we have your best interest. How do you differentiate yourself from the rest? Well, well the short answer is that a lot of us in the financial industry, um, most things that we do will make money. It's just a question mm -hmm. of how much, what are the margins? And really we have the luxury of saying, okay, we have seven or eight lines of business which margins are the highest, what do we want to do, et cetera. And um, in, in our business, managing money is a part of it. Um, a lot of people do that, though. A lot of people do it well. I think we do it well, but a lot of people do as well. And so we have to add other services like doing real tax preparation, real estate planning. We have a lot of two, three, four-generation families in our office. And I think that speaks volumes to do we really want to take care of families and can we show that we're doing that? And I think it's really that we don't place a premium on, we have the best products, we have the best this, we have the best that. It's, we really are going to take the time to learn about you and figure out what is your, what is your family business plan, so to speak, and try to make it as easy and as step-by-step -step as possible. Easy to understand, easy to implement, hopefully, and really empowering for a client. Well, that's part of it, right, is, is people just think, I, 
I'm going to be so overwhelmed. I don't come from this world. I don't understand the finances. I don't know how to plan. I don't, uh, they're going to be speaking Greek to me. So, you know, how do you, how do you simplify? The way we simplify is by asking really general questions. I've taken a lot of courses in negotiation and other things. And Mm -hmm. if you ask these sort of expansive questions, which get to really the heart of someone's motivation, those are the type of things that allow you to really dig in without seeming nosy about it. So you'll Mm. ask these really open-ended arcs, like, tell me a little bit about your career. How did you end up in this place and this place? And, oh, I used to live somewhere. That's kind of interesting. And you'll get them to tell you a story about that. And so you're asking all these non-financial questions. And ultimately, if you do it right, people will tell you everything you need to know about them financially without you saying, Here's 50 questions. Let's go through them all one by one. And people are like, wait a minute, I'm a little defensive here. Right. So asking about them in more of a storytelling fashion uh, allows you to get a lot of information out of them. When should people start coming to, like if I'm a person just coming out of university and I have no savings and I'm just getting started, am I a candidate to come chat with you about how to start planning? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting. There was um, the Global Mail just came out with this uh, best advisors in the country thing, and so we were on there. Uh, lots Congratulations! Of great, you, lots of great advisors on there. Interestingly enough, we were one of the few firms that didn't have a minimum investment size, account mm-hmm. size. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is like, we want half a million. We want two hundred fifty k. And I think if you're doing that, you're excluding a huge amount of the population. Mm-hmm. And, there's, and there's so much good tech these days. We're working to, to develop an even better app than the one we have right now. And if you have something that's that good, tech that's in the palm of your hand, you know, it becomes, no client ever becomes a lost leader for you and no one's treated like a second-class citizen. So yes, we have $10 million plus accounts, but we also have people that come in and they're investing a hundred bucks a month or let's say a thousand or whatever it happens to be. And we like those clients too. What we really like is people that are striving for something and the people that give us the hardest time are the ones who have a lot of money and are bored and are not really striving for anything. So I always say, give me someone who is of any age, but has some ambition. Those are the clients we want. Hmm. I love that. So your daughter is going to meet them? <laughs> no, I was like, I'm going to make a call after this. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Um, you know, if I remember correctly, and I, as I told you, I have a, a fund, Triumph Real Estate Investment Fund, that we play in the exam market and we kind of part of the PCMA. And um, I think it started about two years ago, the whole notion about uh, the consultants are making too many, you know, fees, or mm. too much, or it's too expensive. And h- how do you deal with this? Yeah, it's something that because we Because it's, it's the way, yeah. that's, that's your living. That's how you provide for your family. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. We've studied a lot of businesses. Like I love studying hotels and airlines and you know, sports teams, real estate companies, all sorts of businesses. And what we, what I personally feel is that if you provide a good enough quality of service, people don't question the fees nearly as much. It's when, especially in the investment side of the industry, which again is most of our revenue, if you are charging these fees and not providing advice and people don't feel that you care about them, that's when this resentment starts to build. But if you're transparent in your fees and you provide the best possible service you can, most people tend to go, oh, that that seems fair. Having said that, we're always looking at our competitors and saying, where do we fit into that? So what we try to do is charge more of a medium price and offer the best possible service. 
So not a discount brokerage and not the full service, really high fee type of account. So we're trying to position ourselves in the middle cost wise, but at the top of the end when it comes to service quality. And, and going now, looking at what's going on in the market the last year, okay, with interest rates going up, uh, people are talking about a minor or, or bigger than minor recession. People are talking about, you know, what's going to happen. How, how, how do you kind of deal with your clients right now? Uh, what's, the, what's the feedback you get from them? What's, the, what's their kind of uh, mood or, or atmosphere they live in? I, I think we have, let's divide our clients into your classic bell curve where you have a few people on this side who just genuinely don't care. And then a few people on this side who are terrified all the time. <laughs> and then you have probably 85 to 90% in the middle who were like moderately interested and provided that you're, you're keeping in touch with them and give them good communication. They're generally okay. But there is always that, let's call it 10% where, you know, I feel for them. They really, really freak out. Even if there's a little fluctuation in the market, Um, we, we write a lot of our own content. We put out pieces to our clients all the time in terms of long-term investing and specific things we're doing, risk controls, things like that. But, you know, the, the, the challenge is money for a lot of people becomes very, very emotional. And money, when you think about it, is, is not emotional. It's like this plant here. It's just, in fact, this plant has more life than money. <laughs> money is really a tool That you, that you can use either to enhance your life, to enhance someone else's life, to make yourself stable. It doesn't define who you are. It doesn't make you good or bad. But so many people really place this like money, money, money. And, and it really makes, uh, makes them emotional. Mm -hmm. And without being condescending, we're always trying to sort of, you know, Remind them it's just one component of your life. Mm -hmm. Well, like I, I do know of a lot of people who lost a lot of their retirement savings. And I can understand the anxiety around that when you don't have 20 more years to plan. Yeah. That's, that's when the neuroscience comes. <laughs> exactly. Dealing that's with right. those anyway. people that freak out on every movement in the market. That's right. and, and my minor in hypnosis. Also. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll keep that in mind. Our guest this morning is Jeremy Clark, President and CEO of CH Financial. And we have to take a commercial break. Calgary Next is powered by Calgary Economic Development. Calgary is the place where bright minds and big ideas come together with an unmatched spirit to help solve global challenges. Calgary Next is powered by Calgary Economic Development. Calgary is the place where bright minds and big ideas come together with an unmatched spirit to help solve global challenges. We're back with Jeremy Clark, president and CEO of CH Financial. So you have been a very active supporter of McGill University, where you graduated from. You created the Clark Science Executive Leadership Fund, which I love. Why was that important to you? It was important because when I'm, I'm doing things with McGill, which started off as just organizing alumni events locally, and then it led to bigger positions in Montreal. Um, I'm a curious guy. I ask people if I can come and tour labs and go to classes. So I, I come out of a board meeting and I'll go and tour a lab or, or, or two or three. And because I'm asking questions, listening to people, um, it struck me that a lot of people who are senior PhD students are between the age of 28 and 33, let's say. And they're not close to graduating. And they have a supervisor who's the one making, like bringing all the money in, directing traffic, so to speak, doing experiments. And 
there's not a lot of throughput. Like in a business, we talk a lot about throughput. Like you're getting someone from point A to B to C. And in these labs, I found like people were sort of stagnating. You'd have this 10 or 12 person lab and this person's been in this job for years and this person here, and they're not very motivated. And it struck me that a lab is a business, Mm -hmm. but it's not being run like one. And no one ever taught a principal investigator how to really run their lab. And the greater the scientist, the less likely they are to be like, yes, I need some basic business training. So using a lot of my connections at McGill, I, I basically took an existing program, the mini MBA, and repurposed part of it to be specific to scientists. Mm. So we've had over 50 graduates in the past seven years, which means the principal investigator goes through the program and it transforms the way the lab is run. So people learn about accounting. They learn about networking, like at conferences. They learn about human resources, you know, sick policies, this kind of thing. So it's a very, very basic business education. Um, and it's just some of the, the comments we've got have just been incredible. We've had some really, really good advocates, like really, really senior prominent researchers who have gone through the program. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, it's super cool. I was just in Montreal two weeks ago and I, I met another five or six of the graduates. And uh, it's just, you know, I, I, I essentially took an existing idea <laughs> and tweaked it a little bit and then donated some money to allow the students to go into it. Mm. And so it, it just, it's really, really neat to see how it's impacted people's lives. Do they learn about leadership and being yeah. good leaders? And what does that entail to you? Like, what do you see as, as good, strong leadership? I think leadership, um, and I've had, the, I've had the good fortune in my life. I've had so many good mentors. You know, so I'm sitting here at the age of 47, um, you know, some ways I feel like I'm 80, some ways I feel like I'm about 35. Um, but I think the best leaders are the ones who they genuinely like people. They have a clear idea of what the company is supposed to be doing or the entity, and they can communicate very clearly and effectively and be adaptable. And, you know, the pandemic obviously put that to the fore, but I think the most adaptable leaders are the ones that are the most successful not the ones who come in and say, here is the only way to do things. And that's the way that we're going to do things. Um, those that have a plan. What are you, why are you looking at me? Obvi- looking at obvious me? reasons. <laughs> I think you're both staring at the wall. <laughs> yeah. So I think being, being adaptable. So you need to be, I think you need to be strong, but also flexible and be as good of a listener as you can be. Let's talk about the wild west. Sure. Share it as the wild west business forum. Oh, the Wild West. <laughs> this was something dreamed up by our good friends at Parker PR, which is a really cool idea. It was, um, we have this relationship with Up 10, which is a new condo development in town here. And, um, at the corner of 10 and 1st. That's right. That's right. Actually, we used to own that parking lot 20 years ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you how old and I'm you sold it to, to, <laughs> sold Avi, it to the Avi developer in, in Montreal. Exactly. exactly. And then he did a JV with Strategic here. Exactly. Okay, exactly. We, we've entered development talk. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Um, but what happened was it was, um, there's a lot of uh, really cool millennials in that building. And so a lot of our target market is, what do those people sort of under 40 need from us? And guess what? There's like... 40 floors of them all in one building. <laughs> so, um, part of it, I think, was market research, but part of it was also, um, like, we just want to go and answer financial questions. So that was one of our sessions, and it was during Stampede. So Parker branded it the Wild West Financial Forum. <laughs> but what actually happened was, and we had about 50 people. It was 10 o'clock in the morning on a, on a steaming hot July day. Yeah. And they had us on one of their patios outside with no shade, oh. <laughs> facing directly into the sun. <laughs> 
<laughs> so um, my my colleague and I, Erica Stewart and I, were sitting there. Thankfully, we had cowboy hats on. We basically sat on these little stools and answered financial questions for about 90 minutes. Ooh. Eventually, somebody brought us some water. <laughs> but what I loved was that people were so interested. It was supposed to be an hour, and it went longer because people were asking, like, like things like, what is a GIC? When I hear about interest rates going up, what does that mean to me? Um, how much of a mortgage should I have compared to my income? So it's really cool. It's all people, and this is a nice, nice building. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like people are struggling really to get into the building, but there's lots of questions they have. And, and there's not really a place to go to get them all answered in, in sort of an impartial way. Right. So, Nobody so, learns this stuff in so school. So you, yeah. you mentioned millennials, and, and Tara, going back to Tara's question earlier about uh, what age should we start. How do I get my, I have a 25 and a 31, how, and, and a 35. 35, I don't have to care about, to care about him. He's doing, but how do I get the 25 and 31 to understand, start now. Don't wait for when I immigrated here at age 40 to start building at age 40 if you can start. How do I get that message to them? So there's one, I mean, there's lots of compelling pieces out there. We, we partner for a lot of this with a company called Edgepoint. So Edgepoint is one of our investment companies out of Toronto. We've been day one investors in this fund and they put out some really good educational pieces. And one of them is called The Power of Compound Interest. And I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but it, it shows you the power of investing a certain amount starting at the age of 20, starting at the age of 25, starting at the age of 30, same amount of money. And it's absolutely incredible, the power of starting really young, even with a small amount of money, and the power of compound interest. And a lot of it is just trying to show you that if you start a pattern of savings of any type as young as possible, uh, the savings just grow and grow and grow. So compound compound interest is really the key to that. So is there a link or we can find it on yeah, uh, I can, the interest? I, I, can, I can send that to you if you like. But it's, it's Edgepoint is the name of the company and it's a piece on compound interest. Okay. It was actually a letter that one of the founders wrote to his kids. Oh, wow. About the, your very question. That's what made me think about it. I'm going to, I'm going to look that up. That's a really good one. Okay. Uh, so you've been active with the Calgary Philharmonic Orchestra Foundation for decades. Uh, yeah. now, are you still president? I'm not. I, you know what? I had to retire at the age of 46. I reached the mandatory retirement. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, when, when I, when I join a board, I tend to say, are there term limits? And if not, mm-hmm. I, I put them in. Right. Because you know, as much as I would like to say, this is great. I've been president of this thing for 35 years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a bit of a long time. And even if you think you're a great leader, it's good to have, to have succession coming in behind you. How'd you get uh, involved with them? Were you always a, a music lover? I was not at all. I was actually dating someone at the time who was a music lover and she got me to go to the Philharmonic and the relationship didn't work out, but I kept the tickets <laughs> and, it all, and it led to all these cool things. And actually tonight we have an event called Music to My Ears where I get to stand in front of like 50 people and interview musicians about their lives and about the pieces they're playing and about how they structure their days. Um, so I, I still think it's really cool. So I'm not president of the foundation but still a donor and still very active in the, in the orchestra. Well, and they've, they've actually done really well over, over the last couple decades, right? Very, in terms of much. fundraising, they've been doing really well. Very much. It was, we were lucky in that we had a couple of, or probably three really significant donors who took a lot of, a lot of high-priced oil and gas stocks and donated them. Mm-hmm. So when I joined the foundation, which was about 12 years ago, it was not only in the upswing of investments, but you had these huge donations come in. 
one after the other, like it was a million, this is, and this was 4 million and it was three. And um, so I could tell you as somebody who manages money, it's awesome when you have a tailwind of investing and you have capital coming in on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, there's lots that goes on with that, but we were also fortunate that we had these amazing donors like the Matthews family, the Garrow family, Kilborn family. Um, most of these folks have now passed away, but I had the luxury of being mentored by them as they were like, you got to take this a little more seriously. Like it's not just showing up to events and having fun. You've got to really put some, put some thought into this. So you're interviewing to them. You're not singing or anything. <laughs> not singing. <laughs> Although one of the cool things is whenever I'm, I'm speaking to, to musicians, um, if it's anybody's birthday in the audience, I'll start saying happy birthday. And within, by the time I get to birthday, Everybody. everyone's playing. Really? Yeah. Wow. It doesn't matter if you have four people or five or a hundred. You just start singing. And they'll start playing. <laughs> I, and I joke that part of it is they just don't want to hear you sing. So they better, they better step it's, in. It's Tara's play. birthday today. <laughs> no, 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 not yet. Not yet. I a got a little year bit. Old, that's right. Yeah, 29 year old, twice I, over. Our guest this morning was Jeremy Clark, president and CEO of CH Financial. Thank you, Jeremy, for being our guest. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Calgary Next is powered by Calgary Economic Development. Calgary is the place where bright minds and big ideas come together with an unmatched spirit to help solve global challenges. 